What's up, everybody? After a long sabbatical in the deserts of Arabia, we are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with today two men that took that journey with me. Mr. Jack Renault, how are you today? Good, sir. Oh, I'm doing good. You know, it's been a while since we've done a Reel It Back, and it's been an even longer while since we've done a top five movie of mine, so... There's definitely a lot going into this for me personally. And there's no better person to bring to join us today than the man who loves costume dramas, the Uh man who gives five stars to Age of Innocence, the man Uh who considers Age of Innocence the greatest Martin Scorsese film. Yes. Mr. Hunter Friesen, how are you today? Yes. I mean, hey, with all those words, nobody could do a better introduction. I brought two water bottles for us today. We're going deep in the desert. <laughs> we got to be hydrated. I, I'm ready to talk. I, I can't wait Do we talk about, because I do have that in Age of the Worst as a spoiler alert, not enough water. Not enough water. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. We're going to celebrate the 60th anniversary of one of the greatest movies of all time. One of the greatest, probably the last of the epics of the era, would you say, Jack and Hunter? Like the last great, there's stuff that came after it. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Like the, yeah, it was the end of that era for sure. Um, Lawrence of Arabia celebrating his 60th anniversary. I mean, it's one of the best best picture winners of all time, and also has one of the biggest mm, Oscar snubs of all time, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) Goddamn book movie. Um, Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a little bit. Before we get to that, it's been a while since we done some news. I don't have much news because I kind of want to give us some time, a lot of time to talk about the movie. But um, one of them is more for Jack. I know Hunter is not as big on horror as I am, but uh. I did have uh, an interview with David Gordon Green after Halloween Ends, mm-hmm. where he talked about what the original ending he wrote. For the film. Now, when you watch the film, I don't think it fits with the context of the film because it's a very Halloween ends is very small. It's a very grounded horror film, more character study than gore. But mm-hmm. there was a I'm going to quote him. There was an ending I wrote that we never filmed, and it takes place at Silver Shamrock Factory as it was spitting out witch skeleton and jack-o'-lantern mass. And as the camera pans out, they started spitting out Michael Meyer mass and then we fade to black. That would have been kind of cool. Two, I know you would have loved that. Oh yeah, I like it wouldn't fit in this movie. It like when you see it, if you ever see it, yeah. like it doesn't fit with like how grounded this is. But if this happened after Halloween Kills, which is like like a slasher to no end, I think it would have yeah. fit a lot better. Uh, but I just wanted to throw it out here because I know we just did Halloween three a few weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And then actually, Hunter, I actually think if you watch Halloween Ends, you may go like two and a half, three, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I have to skip a lot of other Halloween movies to get there. You I know don't. you don't have to watch all you of them. You don't. You but... only have to skip 2018 and Halloween Kills. Oh, that's uh, that's something right there. But I, I do the, – the, the one thing I do remember reading about is everybody who – even if they like this Halloween ends, the ending is the one thing people don't love. It feels like a studio tacked on ending as I might have heard about kind of. I I think – so I, I, I love the ending. 
for me. I think it's obviously the first one is still the best, and then Halloween three is up there. Uh, Halloween H two O, they it's a definitive ending, but there's a contract issue that led to that being kind of wiped out. This shows that David Gordon Green's not coming back. It is extremely definitive. Like there's no way there's and they can go around and make a sequel and say, hey, that's not Michael Myers. If you ever get a chance to see it, yeah. it it's quite definitive. So I can see why people are like, why'd you do that? But in my head, I'm like, they're going to reboot this in like five, six years. So who gives a fuck? You know, Probably. that's what they do. I give it like in my my hope is that they reboot this in five or six years and it's more of a reboot of Halloween three. And give Michael Myers a rest for a couple of years. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, and then yeah. the other bit of news is I don't watch the show. Never have. never, And now never will. Uh, Westworld yeah. has been canceled after four seasons. Uh, do you guys watch the show? I watched a bit of it. The thing is, I, I was kind of thinking about this. I Westworld kind of came out like right around the time that Game of Thrones like was ending. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like. Like, it was in the Emmy contention, like, the year that Game of Thrones was not there. Mm-hmm. So now that they have House of Dragon, I feel like they, they're they maybe just not wanting to put as much stock into the show as they are with House of Dragon, which is already seeing insane success. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite positive it's going to be an Emmy player come next season. Yeah, I, I watched two seasons of Westworld. The first season I really loved. Uh, and then the second season, they doubled down on the just absolute complexity of that narrative. There's like six different timelines, I think, going on in that second season. I love it. So I did more homework <laughs> for that second season than any class that year. And then I was like, eh, this is pretty good. And then once the third season reviews came out, they said, yeah, it's not that good anymore. I was like, okay, I'm out then. That's too much work for a not-so-great show. And then I stopped. So That's mm-hmm. that's I, delightful. Yeah, so <laughs> I've seen half of it. And now I'm like, I, yeah, I, I don't really care anymore now that they canceled it. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, Netflix did a similar thing a couple of years ago that they canceled a show that I really used used to love called Glow in the middle yeah. of in the middle of shooting their last season. And I was kind of pissed off. So I understand why people are pissed off that are fans of the show. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, HBO is going to prioritize House of Dragon and Last of Us over everything else right now. So it seems like, you know, yeah. And the way West, go ahead. Westworld is like super expensive to make, too. So if yeah. it's like. If it's on a downward trend, you're spending $200 million on it. You know, what's the point? I yeah, guess. and then anyone that's complaining, like, but White Lotus gets all these seasons, I'm like, you just get a boat and you film. You're, yeah. You, yeah. Don't, you, don't need, you don't need $200 million. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's all I have for news that I wanted to touch on before we get to the breaking down the movie. Let's get into some of the stuff we watch. It's been a while since we've done this, so I we'll, we'll try not to take too much time here. Jack, did you want to go first? Because I know Hunter and I have festivals stuff we can cover yeah uh the one big thing uh that i watched recently it was funny because this was actually for a class uh we were doing a human complexity chapter in my hrm class and for that we ended up watching 12 angry men in class hey. we had an assignment to do so it was funny i ended up just doing the assignment before that class because i've already seen the movie like eight times so that i just sat and watched it again and it is quite the movie, Dave. I'm not sure why you're sitting at four stars. I think it could be a, a little, like, four and a half. It's, I, I just feel it's... bad that the guy couldn't get to the ball game. Mm. <laughs> is it just because it's a Yankees game, though? Is that really? Yeah. 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 And during the – listen, it's not just the Yankees. It's the Yankees during, like, the Mickey Mano, Joe DiMaggio <laughs> era. So you, you're not – no competition. <laughs> yes. Well, the Brooklyn Dodgers were decent at I, the time. I guess. But I guess. But, like – 
why wouldn't you? And the games were like ten cents. Like I'd rather go to the I'd rather go to the ball game. Let's get this let's get this trial done. Um mm-hmm. is, is if there's an anniversary coming of Twelve Angry Men, that should be a great discussion if we uh, Nineteen like fifty-seven. Okay, so we got so, we still got a bit to go. Year, yeah, we could have done it this year. The fifty, yeah, you know, sixty-fifth. Oh, yeah, sixty-fifth. Yeah, yeah. Could have. Um, well, five years from now. Oh, for well, sure. sorry. Um, no, but I do love Twelve Angry Men. Just not a five-star movie for me. Just like, work on that. <laughs> uh, what about you? You got anything, Hunter, from Tiff, or that you wanted to touch on? Or you did uh, Minnesota Film Festival, right? Yeah, we just had the Twin Cities Film Festival this past week. So there's usually about four to five movies there that um, are pretty big players. So like She Said was there, uh, Women Talking was there, uh, The Inspection, and uh, Till. So I saw all of those. Um, Women Talking and She Said I both quite liked. I didn't love them, but I quite liked them. Uh, there's certain elements I really love about him. Till and the inspection, I was pretty eh on. I wasn't a huge fan of either of those. So, but and then they also had like Empire of Light was there, Banshee's Been a Sheer was there, but I'd already seen those, so I didn't get to do it. And they announced that Fablemans was there, but I was like, eh, I already saw it. And I've got oh, to see it I'm again, sorry. So. Yes. Lucky you. Um, I, they they went all out this year. I'll give them that one. They have gone way better in Twin Cities over like the last five years. They've been stacking the movies. That's kind of what so happened good. to my local. The only film festival in New Jersey. <laughs> they yeah. they kind of st- mean, stacked it up. You got New York right there, the the big one. Yeah. So it's it's not that bad. I guess you're right. But you said yeah. you did see the Fablemans. I did not see it again. Oh, no, you haven't same seen, night. But you did. I've, see- I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, but yeah. You I didn't are... see it at Twin Cities. What did you, if you wanted to touch a little bit on it, like, did you yeah, love yeah. it or? Oh yeah, no, I absolutely loved it because it is Steven Spielberg. It is um, it, obviously the most anticipated movie that I had of the year. I was a little trepidatious because it was like Spielberg childhood whimsy coming of age stuff. I'm like, he could go overboard on it. It might be too much, but no, it was. He did it exactly well. There was there's one scene in it that is probably his best scene one of his best scenes of his career i was tearing up the whole time during it um and yeah it's 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 two and a half hours long maybe could be two hours and 15 minutes but i'm not complaining because he deserves all that awesome so it was it was my favorite movie of the year until all choir on the western ah yes i was gonna mention that on my end too um so on my end i'll run through new york film film festival real quick saw 10 movies this year and unlike last year i didn't hate any of them I just quite hated the second half of one of them. So I saw Triangle of Sadness. Uh, mm-hmm. If the movie ended after 90 minutes, it'd probably be on the four, four and a half for me. But mm-hmm. we have to have that third act that was over long and overstuffed. Uh, I thought it was, you know, okay. I don't see the hype. Yeah. Don't see why I won the palm, to be honest with you. With, with like stuff like After Sun there, like I'm surprised that that's what won the palm or or decision to leave yeah i was um it was between close the belgium one and decision leave and triangle sadness for the uh the three that were in the running the the, the rumored to be in the running so surprise ruben austin got a second palm door in a row that was a huge huge uh surprise actually for sure uh i saw decision to leave which i really loved Mm -hmm. uh so after son, which as an expect expecting father, that probably hit me a lot more than it probably would hit like any other person right now. Um, yeah, 
I, I saw the Twin Cities, too. I didn't even mention that. That was my favorite of the Twin Cities, actually, film festival. The one we just saw with, like, eight other people in there. And it was like, wow, this is the best movie I've seen. I was nervous because, off the record, like, Hunter and Jack and I talk often. And uh, we always joke about how I can't stand slow movies. And <laughs> there's a scene that got me so nervous, Jack, in the first five minutes. And Hunter and I will, talk, talk, will know what I'm talking about, where you just see someone sleeping. And I'm like, oh my god, is this Memorial all yeah, over again? It was, it was, it was that like, yeah, this is an A24 movie, two and a half minute shot of someone sleeping. <laughs> like, but and that was that. Oh was my it. god, that, that was it. it. That was it. Yeah, but then the it. movie gets really deep, and as yeah. you know, with the father daughter dynamic, it's really well done. Um, I saw my first, uh, my favorite donkey movie of the year, EO. Uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It felt like a horror movie in some essence. The the score of the film the cinematography were top notch i hope it's an international i don't think it's gonna win but i hope it's at least a nominee uh should be armageddon time it's fine i liked it Mm -hmm. it's 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 james gray so it's good not great it's basically that's everyone's movies like good but not great except that astra i really like that astra i did like all right and you probably hear hear me out on this one i did like the inspection i went high i think you went three right are you in two and a half so i went four i went four so it's everything I loved about the first half of Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> it is all of that. That's all it is. Yeah, but you don't get anything in Aftermath, Jack. So the whole movie is just him yeah. through boot camp. And yeah. then he's going through some stuff. I don't want to spoil here, but I, I thought Jeremy Pope was really good in it. Uh, <laughs> let me see. I was, what... I was just like this highly original story of this guy's life and yet nothing original about it i'm like i've seen this all before oh yeah we definitely yeah you nailed that i saw your review on i'm like you definitely nailed that out especially when you sat down like it's not it's not anything we haven't seen before uh women talking i love i was very scared for that one because i don't love costume dramas i um they're all wearing the same costumes so you don't get you only have to get used to one costume in that one you know very good very good stuff of one of the best screenplays of the year like by far uh it's 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 like it's a lot more fast-paced of a screenplay than i thought it was mm-hmm. you know i guess like it, it was back and forth back and forth level stuff um then my top three kind of in a distant um i loved she said especially like i watched it again i went to an academy screening this weekend and um safe to say so press screen i don't know how it is in minnesota for you hunt but like they they don't really clap during screenings so this screening got a standing ovation ah so it was it was yeah. a it was a mix of press and oscar voters so gotcha um it's all it's a it's a room of 50 people so who's to who's to say there's traction there uh but mm-hmm. it played really really well for 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 uh my group on friday and then at NIF it played well too um mm-hmm. carrie mulligan about to category fraud her way to an oscar which is I'm not hating is she on going her. supporting. They're, they're pushing her yeah. supporting. When you see it, Jack, she is like unequivocally well, she's 50, elite. 50, you. It's yeah, it's fifty fifty. Sixty five thirty five. How about that? Like more Kazan, but like you know, it you know, it's pretty much. Do you think Kazan could get in? No. Yeah, I feel it's bad. Too stacked of, it's too stacked of a category. That's yeah. the problem. I wish they both went supporting, and then they. I think yeah. they both could have gotten in. Uh then I saw my top two of the festival tar. And uh, Bones and all. And Tar, I mean, Kate Blanchett is... It's my favorite performance of her she's ever done. I think she's 
incredible. The ending of the movie, I'm not going to spoil it because Jack hasn't seen it, is as a gamer, Jack, chef's kiss. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it is true. All I'm going to say. Okay. I well, yeah, there was a way to put it. Yeah. Go ahead, Hunter. There was, a, there was a wild debate. We saw it. Um, it was early for the early screening of it before it opened in theaters, but there was a big debate after the movie. After the movie. There's some people that were gamers in the crowd that they didn't take offense to it, but they kind of, uh, you know, they were like, oh, that was a weird message at the end. I'm like, no, it's funny. I loved it. And I play a lot of games. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, same here. And I know Jack's Within a gamer. Within the context of the story, it, it works so well. I totally mm-hmm. agree. I was yeah. I was talking to a few people uh, after the screening that had, you know, some people had seen it and they just wanted to see it again. Um, that they didn't get it. I'm like, no, dude, like. It, yeah. it's perfect for everything that she goes through through the movie like mm-hmm. this is they're treating it as the prep work it makes you think that they're treating it as this high highbrow event and it's a that and i'm like okay like i love it like top field couldn't have ended it better it's it's the biggest joke of and any like not joke isn't bad but like just a punchline at the end of a movie that I've seen in a while. I was like, wow, that's one way to leave a two and a half hour movie for sure. And uh, my great. and then my favorite film of the festival is Bones and All. I adored it. It's my favorite horror film of the year, and it's not really just a horror film. It's a it's essentially I sent I said it in my review and I told the guys off the line. It's it's Badlands meets nineteen eighties cannibal horror. Um, mm. Score is phenomenal. The soundtrack is phenomenal. Timothy Chalamet is probably my favorite performance of his. Wow. Um, I thought he was really go. good. Taylor Russell was good. And I'm not a huge fan of Bridge of Spies, so give me more of this Mark Rylance oh. and less of that Mark Rylance. Mm. Uh, that's all I'll say. <laughs> I don't know how Hunter's going to deal with that Mark Rylance, but uh, it's 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 delightful. And then I, I, I like Mark Rylance. I think he's a very underrated actor. I think he, he's yeah. – uh, then at Montclair, I saw Knives Out, which Glass Onion, Knives Out. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite films of the year. It's phenomenal. It's it's so good. I th- it's very good. I'm trying to distance myself from it before I say whether it's better than the first one, but mm. the twist in the in in the twist in, in this one works a little better than the first one. There's a lot of mm-hmm. better twists in this one. Uh, then I saw the whale. Um, the movie with only one promotional image still. So yeah. I'm I think Hunter, you, Hunter you saw it right? Yeah, I saw it. Too. So yeah. here my. Hear my thoughts because I actually was talking. I was talking to someone about this because they're like, they haven't seen it. And they're like, why is there no trailer? If you've seen the movie, you understand why there's no trailer, especially okay. with how hateful people are in this world. If sure. you just show an image of the movie with no context of the movie itself, that yes, you can start a whole internet debate and burn down Twitter with it. But if you watch the movie, then it makes sense. But if if mm-hmm. If you took a picture of Brendan Fraser's character and just put him online, yep, it's forget it's it. The, that's that's the end of the day. It's over. Like, you a, might as well cancel like, the whole movie. There's a reason. Burn that thing. There's a reason you've only seen the only photo of him is from head up. Yeah, because okay. yeah, it's it's the movie's really good. It's obviously it's a Aronofsky movie. It's heavy. It's a Darren yeah. Aronofsky movie. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, just yeah, punch you the whole time like we're gonna beat you down but it's gonna it works there is it's it actually has a lot of lighthearted moments it was actually surprisingly funny in some aspects uh, brendan frazier is yeah it's it's an all-timer will he win i hope so i don't think this is getting into best picture but 
it would break a stat. I think Jeff Bridges is the last actor to win actor without a Best Picture nomination. So mm-hmm. I I hope he wins, but you know, you know how the Academy is. That's so we'll, we'll see there. Yeah, and, well, no. And then what's the last thing? I saw? Oh, I saw White Noise. Um, oh yeah, it's fine. Look, at, it's it's all right. I took I took my wife to see it. She, not a fan. Uh, not a fan. She, I mean, I, it's it's. I'm I'm curious about it. So. It's if it's if like the obviously it's based on a novel, but it's like Bombback said, I want to make a David Lynch film. So, which the, I would I'm okay with. You know, but obviously I still haven't seen it, so I, I don't know. Like I went through okay with it on paper right now. I went three and a half on it. I mean, it's okay. it's a bit too long, but um, but I, I had a decent time with it. And then I'll finish up with the uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which, oh, oh my God, have you seen it yet, Jack? I have not. No, it's pretty long. I need to set time aside from it. I think that's going to be a Thanksgiving movie as well. I'm gonna hey, you got you got Tar Fablemans and All Quiet Western Front. You're just packing in the long movies then. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it it's probably so. I said a lot when 1917 came out. It's better than 1917. Mm-hmm. It's man, I can't remember the last war movie that hit me this hard. <laughs> like it's, it's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, especially that opening scene where I, I was like, okay, this is, this is a movie I'm going to be, I'm going to love. And then it, it continued to do so. The coat that I mentioned in our side, mm-hmm. in our side chat, Jack, like, yeah, even me mentioning it, trust me, when you see that scene, you have no idea how powerful it is. And with the score yeah. playing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's much better than the 1931. <laughs> I've not seen that either, though. I haven't. It's, it's interesting to see it's, different it's, get, it's getting a it's getting like a resurge in popularity, which is pretty funny. I'm gonna rewatch it like next year before this before the Oscars. Oscar season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention because I don't need to mention much about this. I saw My Policeman, and that's where that ends. That movie. Nobody is awful. cares. That movie is. <laughs> that movie is pretty awful. It's uh. I would say piece that I didn't even want to watch. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to watch this. I'd go as far as to say it's the most boring movie of the year. Yeah, it's well, awful. There you go. Oh, and weird. I saw weird, which is, which is oh, deli- yeah. delightful. Absolutely delightful. It's a great time. Yeah. yeah. Um, gotta love that. There's nothing truthful in the movie. That's the fun thing about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> like the great thing about it. Jack, there's a battle. There's an action set piece between him and pa- Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so one funny. of the funniest parts of the movie. Um, and oh. Non-related, I did catch a movie that our buddy Helmer recommended. <laughs> so I saw The Swimmer, mm-hmm. and I made him wait for my review until I logged oh. it. I logged it early yesterday, and I didn't put the review in until like mm-hmm. seven o'clock or five or six o'clock. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. you're it's the a- first person in the league to go below four stars. Helmer was Ooh. sure to point that out. <laughs> I went solid three, three and a half, like on the lower end of three and a half. There's some interesting concepts there, but it's not a movie that I would recommend to anybody. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. Um, I, I'm going to rewatch it soon. I'm excited to because it's been a while, but and it could go up, but I also it could go down a little bit. I mean, there's no way I could give this movie five stars when you're looking at a guy that's going home, but doesn't have any keys to get into his house the whole movie. <laughs> 
like you just like all Burt Lancaster has is his trunks. No pockets in his trunks, nothing. But he's like, I want to swim home from house to house. Where are your keys, bud? Like you got one key in your <laughs> in, like in your cock area? Like where what are we doing oh, here? Secret compartment. Like it's like it's but no, I, I did have a good time. So uh yeah. I thanks. don't know, the state the, the stakes are too high. I don't know if I can watch it now. Like there's yeah. there's too much riding on me watching this movie. Oh, you're going but, three. There's no way okay. you go. Well, then I won't ever watch it because I don't need that wrath on me. <laughs> shout, shout, shout out to our buddy Helmer. But yeah, that wraps everything up for what we watched. Let's get into why we are here. I have a lot of notes, so this should be a fun one. All right, we are getting into the 60th anniversary of Lawrence of Arabia. There's a lot behind the production of this movie. There's a lot. It's it's a long movie. It's it is it pushing four. Or it's like three, it's like three hours forty six, something like that. Three so, hours thirty six. So just a little bit longer than The Godfather Part Two. So yeah, light mm-hmm. light work, light work. Um, yeah, let's get into it. With I usually don't do these with the relay backs, but very curious because of how big this movie is and where did we first catch this movie, Jack? You're mm-hmm. you're. I was gonna let you lead this whole shindig today. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing is actually in the grand scheme of my top 10, this is actually one of the ones that I've come to the most recently. Uh, I had always heard about it, but it just took me a while to see it because it's like three hours and 46 minutes long. Uh, So I ended up seeing it after uh, I was in a cinematography class and I was just looking at like all these different lists of like best shot movies and the ASC number one best shot movie was Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, and what I considered at the time to be like my favorite cinematography Blade Runner was number two. So I was like, well, what's up with this? So then I ended up watching the movie. Uh, I bought the DVD from half price books. Ooh, hey, that's, oh, hey, I've been there. I get to about the 17 minute mark right as the match cut comes. Mm. And then I see it. I stop the movie. I go to iTunes and I buy the 4K then and there and I restart. <laughs> My the God, there you go. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. That's there what I like go. to hear. That's what I that's what I meant when I said I was gonna make you proud, Dave. Uh but yeah, I watched it from there and I mean it just blew me away. I mean, it's the biggest movie I've seen just in terms of scope. It's probably the easiest digestible four hour movie out of all of those intermission-laden epics of the time. Uh, like, I love Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments is good, but, I mean, Lawrence of Arabia just drifts away. Uh, and then, also, it's just a really interesting movie to read into because, like, while there are exaggerations about the story, like, there are also elements of Lawrence's life that they, like, kind of under-exaggerated. So, he's just a really fascinating person to have had to get to learn about over the last few years. And I just love coming back to this movie so much. Nice. What about you, Hunter? Uh, well, I will be the surprise. I did not see this movie until a few months ago, actually really. Um, cause I didn't get into serious movies until like 2017 is before that. It was just blockbuster and stuff. And this was one of the movies that they were like, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, I was going through like the IMDb list, the AFI list, all that stuff, because you got to start somewhere. But everybody said, you cannot watch this movie at home. You cannot do that. You have to see it in the theater. 
being as it's what 60 years old now it's not playing in the theater that often so i had to wait and wait and wait so i waited now it was showing 60th anniversary 70 millimeter here in minneapolis so i got my ticket like it started it was in july they showed it. i bought my ticket for that in like april i was like i'm gonna see this movie so i did and absolutely no doubt about it this the theater going experience you have to go at with complete intermission we had a little uh overture beforehand it's on a huge screen it was probably one of the best theater experience i've had and along with that like i've seen the godfather the godfather part 2 2001 space odyssey and now gone with the wind in theaters so all movies besides gone with the wind i absolutely love i was about to ask i mean i've only seen gone with the wind twice but kudos that's a long one i saw it that one time in the theater i was like this is good I don't want to rewatch this ever again. Though. Yeah, it's it's. But like you, Godfather, Godfather Part Two. Oh yeah, I'll watch those anytime. And two thousand one, obviously. Jack, have you seen Gone with the Wind? Of course I have. Oh. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've I've seen it. I'm not sure when I'd want to rewatch it. If it's in the theaters, I'm definitely going to go see it. Just because yeah. I like seeing intermission movies in theaters, getting mm-hmm. the break and all that. Um, do you know New York doesn't do the intermissions when we they they bring these movies back? Really? Why? Man, so that, that's brutal. So 2001, they had it on IMAX, uh, two years uh, pre-COVID. So 2019, they did the intermission for that. Same year they did West Side Story, no intermission. So it's mm. give or take on that's what they put weird. the intermission it's, on. It is weird. Yeah. 2001 actually is only like it's barely two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. So yeah. The intermission in the first place is honestly a little bizarre. But it's just a mentally taxing movie, so I don't blame them for so putting it in. The other, the other interesting one was, so I Tribeca Film Festival uh, 2018, they had a Godfather and Godfather 2 back-to-back mm-hmm. with the whole cast there. Like Coppola, Pacino, Whoa. De Niro, uh, Keaton, Tyler Shire, James Caan, everyone there. The intermission, they moved it to between the two movies. So they've ran both of the movies straight and they had an intermission uh, before two and then before the Q&A. So that was a very interesting placement of the intermissions. So that's, they, that's just a break at that point. Yeah. yeah. They, they had music playing and everything like an intermission would. And it's just like, boom. That'd be, that'd be so cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, for me, I saw it probably in 20, 2008, 2009. So it took me a while. I I always felt the technology on the discs were not ready for it, so VHS I didn't want to bother, and I was just getting to understand film. Then DVD I was like, eh, I'm gonna get there one day because I know there's gonna be better technology. And then Blu-ray came in in like 2007, 2008, so that's kind of when I was like, all right, when this comes out on Blu-ray, I'm finally gonna see it. And yeah, I was kind of, same exact sequence is when my my mind turned from like this is going to be good to this is going to be great. And as soon as that match sequence happens, I'm like, all right, we're it, it it's a different ball game. Um, we're gonna talk about sand a lot here. Uh, but I yeah, sand is very important in this movie. Um, <laughs> some of the best. Do I think it's the best cinematography of all time? I can I think we can debate that, but it's definitely top five I, I, I think it is personally mm-hmm. uh yeah so, i think so. it's I, I understand other movies and why you'd rank other movies up top but you can't i don't think you can discuss the best cinematography 
in any movie ever and not at least reference Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. It's yeah. just too it's just too good. I agree 1000%. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Uh, the production on this movie is a little bit long. I'm not going to try to bore you with everything. Uh, but previous films about T.E. Lawrence have been planned all the way back to the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Corda was interested in filming The Seven Pillars of Wisdom with Lawrence Olivier, Leslie Howard, and Robert Dunant as Lawrence, but had to pull out uh, owing to financial difficulties. David Lean had been approached to direct a 1952 version for the rank organization, but the project fell through at the same time. Pre-production of the film Terrence Radigan was developing his play Ross, which centered primarily on Lawrence alleged homosexuality. Ross had begun as a screenplay, but had been rewritten for the stage. As we fast forward, Alec Guinness originally wanted to play Lawrence of Arabia, but unfortunately, he was too old by the time the project went into production. Um, after the bridge of the bridge on the river Kwai, which I got to say, I forgot to mention, I rewatched that for the first time in a bit, liked it a lot more the second time than I did mm-hmm. the first it's a great time. Movie as well. I, um, I thought it played very well back to back after Lawrence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in regards to David Lean, for a time he was not going to do it because he was interested in a biopic of Gandhi, with Alec Guinness set to play the title role. Um, yeah. How do you think that would have aged, fellas? It would have fell into the time period, though. That's yeah. That is yeah. true. Um, once that fell through, Lean returned to the attention of T.E. Lawrence. And Columbia Pictures had an interest in a Lawrence project dating back to the early 50s. And we pretty much went to went from there. Uh, I, I had some notes in terms of what inspired David Lean. Uh, reportedly, he watched John Ford's The Searchers to help him develop ideas of how to shoot the film. Several scenes directly recall Ford's film, most notably Ali's entrance at the well and the composition of many of the desert scenes and the dramatic exit from Wadi Rum. Uh, the Absolutely. desert, the desert scenes were shot in Jordan and Morocco, um, and Al Maria and Donania in Spain. It was originally, which is um supposed to be originally filmed in Jordan. I had this later on, uh, regarding that the studio originally wanted to film this in L.A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, they could have pulled it off crap. in Arizona. Yeah, nah, yeah, that's probably the or or Nevada. That's probably the closest thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of production, we move on to the score, which I know that our boy Jack wants to talk, touch on, uh, film score was composed by Maurice Jarre, little known at the time and selected only after William Walton and Malcolm Arnold had, had proved unavailable. Jarre was given six weeks to compose two hours of music for Lawrence, uh, I want I want to get into the historical accuracy of the film before we get into that. Uh, Jack, do you want to touch on just the production or the score? Okay. Well, firstly, I just gotta go. I gotta go on and throw in the best little trivia about the score. Maurice mm. Jarre originally was just gonna write the score. He wasn't going to conduct the recordings. But the person who they originally brought in to conduct it, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. He was not able to hit the timings correctly. So after just failing to do so consistently, they eventually just had to settle and bring in Jar to conduct his music, which just it's just a testament to how crazy good the music is. If only he can 
read it and it just turns out that good. Um, let me see. Oh, oh, do you know the big? Uh, did you mention the big casting? What if for Lawrence initially? I have that for later on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Surprise me. I will say back to the uh, Alexander Corda point. That would have been an interesting movie. I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, but he did um he did Black Narcissus or he produced Black or wait no that wasn't it um he did the Thief of Baghdad um mm-hmm. he did a version of the Jungle Book so he's done a lot of like kind of grand scale movies back in the forties uh, so I think he definitely could have pulled off something that's good. Would I have traded it for? Would I have traded Lawrence of Arabia for that? Probably not, but I think that would have been a cool movie that in itself. Awesome. Anything else on there, Jack? Uh, nothing that I don't want to save till later. All right. What about you, Hunter? Anything on the score or just a production as a whole? Um, I will say um, there was a quote I saw um, as part of some of his Spielberg is it's like one of his favorite movies of all time or is or whatever. It is. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, okay. It is. Okay. Which I thought it would be. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to spoil that. Anyway, uh, but he said yes. um, that he estimated that if you want to make this movie today, it costs like $300 billion or something like that. Obviously nobody's going to fund that this kind of movie today in this landscape. So it's kind of that where you have this just scale of a production, no special effects whatsoever. If any, of the time because you watch like the lord of the rings movies and it's an amazing production all all the way but you know 95 percent of that stuff in that is not real that's visual mm-hmm. effects yeah even if it's the greatest visual effects you still know that but when you watch this and you see the thousands of people charging in the desert you know that's real people they're the whole time that orchestrate that so it's just that extra extra thing that just tips w- the scales to and- my knowledge there is one fake shot in Lawrence of Arabia, and that is the sh- one of the shots of the sun when they're at the sun's anvil, and that's because they tried to get the real shot, but it would just burn through the film because it was so hot. So, to my knowledge, that is one of the only shots, if not the only shot in Lawrence of Arabia that's not real. Yeah, and then I, I when I mention the budget in in a minute, you probably will be shocked that this movie cost this little. So, uh, well, yeah. but you know, we're gonna praise the movie for the most part, but. Did want to touch on some of the historical accuracy within the movie because mm-hmm. um, there has been some complaints about that. So notably, a lot of the complaints is uh, over the characterization of Lawrence. Uh, the perceived problems with the portrayal began with the difference in physical appearance. Uh, six foot two Peter Toole was almost nine inches taller than Lawrence, who was five five. Um, wow. His behavior ha- actually stemmed more debate. So the screenwriters depict Lawrence as an uh, egotistical individual. It is not clear what degree Lawrence sought or shunned, uh, whether or not, I'm sorry, that Lawrence just wanted to attain attention, as evidenced by his use of various assumed names after the war. Even during the war, Lowell Thompson wrote in with Lawrence in Arabia that he could take pictures of him only by tricking him, but Lawrence later agreed to post for several photos for Thomas's stage show. Thomas' famous comment that Lawrence had, quote, had a genius for backing into the limelight can be taken to suggest that his extraordinary actions prevented him from being as private as he would have liked to be. Others point to Lawrence writing uh, to support the argument that he was egotistical. Also, uh, this one, there's not much here outside of the 
the production of Ross, but Lawrence's sexual orientation remains a controversial among historians. Both primary source was Seven Pillars, but the film's uh, portrayal seems informed by Richard Addington's biographical inquiry, which poised Lawrence as a pathological pathological liar and exhibitionist as well. Um, On top of that, we do have just on the accuracy of the film itself, most of the film characters are based on people to varying degrees, but not the individuals themselves. Uh, Some scenes were heavily fictionalized, such as the Battle of Aqaba, and those dealing with the Arab Council were also inaccurate. So, in terms of biopic, I mean, yes, the historic accuracy aren't there, but I think we've learned with Hollywood. I don't know if you guys would disagree that it's the norm now to bend the truth with these biopics. You're always going to find something that's historically inaccurate. Uh, but this is just some of the ones that came here in Lawrence. So, Jack, I'll start with you. Thoughts? Yeah, no. Um, and, and there's even some more additional things that I'll kind of get into later. But the big thing I think a lot about these biopics is that there's always going to be, I think there's always going to be some inaccuracies because sometimes you need to sacrifice like the full truth, just like for movie making. I mean, you can't tell this person's entire life. And like, even though this movie is like three hours and 40 minutes long, like you're still not going to be able to get everything in the movie. And like, even like the social network, like, which is like a great movie. But, like, that's just a complete, like, motivation that was made up completely. So Mm -hmm. I think the extent at which people go about taking these creative liberties is interesting. I think more so if this were made today, it would definitely be probably not from the point of view from the white guy who came in and did it. Because this ends up being the central... um, this is essentially the formation of the modern Middle East. So there's definitely more uh, subjects you probably could have focused on. One in particular who's in the movie who has been debated to be more involved with the Aqaba invasion and all of that than Lawrence himself. And dare I say this would be seen more as a green book than anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it does a better job than green book in terms of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes. Any other comments on your end, Hunter, about the just a- accuracy, the more well inaccuracies of the movie? Mm-hmm. Well, I think at this point, uh, or it, it, biopics and historical films, are my favorite genre of movies. But I have to know that movies are the least revi- reliable way to get information about a historical subject. Uh, you you should not take all the information or even the context of it or anything. You should always read a book. Do further research if you were really interested in that subject. So, like, if you were really interested in learning of the true story of Lawrence Arabia, this movie can fill in the gaps and give you a general picture, but you really should be doing a lot more. So, uh, but also, I think the movie does comment a little bit on the portrayal of Lawrence, especially in that first, one of the first scenes, like his funeral or Mm -hmm. memorial Mm -hmm. river. Where like the guy, the, the press guys like interviewing people, and the ones who didn't know Lawrence, like he was a great hero, a legend. He was spreading British, you know, imperialism, and he was the greatest. And then the people who did know him were like, well, you you didn't actually know the real Lawrence over there. You know, mm-hmm. he was a lot different than that." So that's why one of the scenes I absolutely loved is this movie is not a illustrious view of the greatest British explorer of all time. You know, so do you sort of do you know what that opening reminded me of, Citizen Kane? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It does. There's yeah. a there's a there's a lot of Citizen Kane in this movie. First mm-hmm. first off, they both start with the death of the protagonist, mm-hmm. and yeah. then like nobody really understands the character, and then both the characters throughout the entire movie, like there's a lot of like just I statements from them like wanting to like deliver something. So yep. like mm-hmm. Charles Foster K wants to be the person to deliver the news to people and like give them like the say and all that. And then T.E. Lawrence wants to give them their freedom and that I'm going to do it. Yep. Uh, so just really fascinating uh, parallels there. Well, yeah. I'm uh, And moving on, I mentioned budget. Uh, this movie released on December 10th, 1962 with a budget of $15 million, which is mm. just can, can I also add, you yeah, said yeah, December go for 10th, 1962, this mm-hmm. movie was, uh, a five-month shoot was planned, but it ended up being shot from May 1961 until September 1962. I have so, so they many had, like, notes two, about that. They had like two months of post before release, so Envy Coats, we're going to get into her later. <laughs> for sure. Uh, it made $70 million at the box office, which is fantastic for that era. It's probably at least $200 million inflation if we look at today's numbers. Um, I, say, I just just did the math. $15 million budget generally would be a $150 million budget today. And then what's that box office looking? Uh, so, 70, $70 million. Five. So like, I don't know, half a billion, like $600 million made. Which in reality, if you really think about the scope of cinema today, it probably wouldn't have made that. Because, uh, because no one's going to be watching this movie except we have, us. We have, we have Ava- Avatar coming out with the most visual effects extravaganza. But you know what the people are talking about? It's three hours long. Oh, God. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's three hours long. And then what are they going to do with this movie? It's just sand for three and a half hours. That's what the complaints would be. That's the headlines would be. For sure. Alrighty. So as we move to our first big category, where it's called the Trophy Room, Hunter, we look at some of the awards that this lovely film won. I'm going to go through some. I'm not going to go through everything because it's a lot. So it won the PGA. It won the actually it it won best director for the National Board of Review, but it was fourth place in top ten films of that <laughs> year. Do we know who beat so, it? So like, uh, longest day to kill a mockingbird. Do you want yeah. Do you want to look it up, one of you guys, while I run through this? I'm yeah, curious. I'll look it up. So this is 1962. Um, at the it was nominated for a Grammy for best original score for a motion picture or television show. It did not win. But you're- uh, so you're saying it didn't win, then? Oh, God. Golden, you know it did win? Don't. Uh, golden... All, right, all right, I got the National Board Review now. All right, what do we got here? All right, we'll start. Yeah, number four, Lawrence Arabia. Number three, The Miracle Worker, oh, the, hmm. the Helen Keller movie. Number two, Billy Budd. What's that? What is that? <laughs> never heard of until I did research. For this. It's like a it's a British movie about um, it's like a it's like a it's like Mutiny on the Bounty, but like a British version of that kind of. Mm-hmm. But obviously no one's heard of it, so it must not be that great. <laughs> and number one, kind of like Jack predicted, The Longest Day. Okay, okay. So, I guess. Interesting. Uh, so. Golden Globes, best mo- best motion picture drama, one. Supporting actor, one. Um, best director, one. Most promising newcomer, it won for it was a tie uh, between Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif. Did not win best actor. More on that to come. Uh, I mean that. I mean that's it's it's it, that's just a hard year. Oh, sorry, who won supporting actor? Actually, I'm curious about that. For uh, gold was was oh. it Guinness or Sharif or it was it was, it was nobody Lawrence. 
Okay. Sharif was the only one that was up for it. Okay. Um, DGA won. Yeah. yeah. BAFTA won picture. Yeah, and better of. <laughs> this one did a lot. Did, BAFTA did, did its job. It won picture, best British film, best British actor, best British screenplay. Um, and that's it. And then we get yeah. and we get to the Oscars. Alrighty, nominated for ten, it won sound, score, editing, cinematography, and this was when cinematography was split between color and black and white. Art direction, screen screenplay nominated, supporting actor nominated, actor nominated, and then wins picture and director. Um, I. Yeah. I don't well, like to. Also, ki- I, I'll be honest. I don't like To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't. That movie's bland aww. and boring. So like, I give me this. It's one. Peter O'Toole is one of the best performances of all time. I don't think. Yeah. I. It's 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 bad because he had eight nominations. He never won. Mm-hmm. You're just like, yeah, it was right there. But obviously, Gregory Peck was an absolute legend of the time. Mm-hmm. So and he like, had won yet. So it was kind of that. Like I don't think it's as bad as Pacino. Because at least, while I don't like the movie, I respect the performance of Gregory Peck. It's mm-hmm. not that abysmal. But it's still pretty. In a year where this movie dominated, it's kind of surprising that O'Toole didn't win. And uh, then it also lost screenplay to, to Kill Mockingbird as well. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. And then I, I will say the other thing is I'm pretty sure they straight up forgot to submit it for Best Costume Design. Because it wasn't yeah. nominated for that. And No, uh, I, I, no I, look, I looked that up. They did not submit it. Yeah. So, supposed quite to have frankly, just had nine. they submitted it, 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 it could have won 10, honestly, if yeah. throw in screenplay as well. And uh, best supporting actor was Ed Begley in Sweet Bird of Youth. I don't know what that is. Wait, I don't know what I, that is. I know Ed Begley it's, was. Yeah. <laughs> he was I know that. number 10 in 12 Angry Men, but. That's true. Um, that, there's there's some supporting performances in like the 60s and like 50s and 70s in movies. I'm like, I've never heard of this movie in my life. I don't know what that is. And it's very interesting because if you look at the Oscars in the 30s and 40s, they took some risks with their supporting acting wins. Like Santa Claus won an Oscar. Like yeah, people forget that he won an Oscar. And I'm like, and I mean, I love Miracle on 34th Street, but is it a winning performance? I guess I, I I think the movie's phenomenal, but it's mm-hmm. at least they took it's, it. It's it's like a it's like Julie Andrews win. It's just a nice win that like yeah. you look at that and you're just like hell and it, yeah, and I'm it's aged. <clears throat> and even though the performance may not be fully Oscar worthy, like you said, Jack, it's aged well. Like no one mm-hmm. says Julie Andrews should not have won for Mary Poppins or or mm-hmm. yeah, Santa Claus yeah. should not have won. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, let's get into our next category. Uh, yeah, you have oh, some so I got a- one AFI. You wanted to add something, Hunter? Yes, uh, only because we were mentioning it. Uh, it's coming up this year is the mention of long movies being nominated for Best Picture, Black Panther, you know, Avatar, Babylon, Fablemans, whatever. This this year, this crop of five Best Picture nominees, four of the five are over two and a half hours long. Oh, my God. Like The Music Man, two and a half. Mutiny on the Bounty, three hours. Longest Day, three hours. Lawrence Arabia, three and a half hours. Then To Kill a Mockingbird, two hours, ten minutes. So not short either. Yeah. I mean, I we're looking at it this year. So to move it forward to, to, to this year. So Fablemans is two and a half hours. Babylon's yep. three hours. Top Gun yep. is two ten. Two ten, two fifteen. Um Tar is three hours. Well, two hours forty. But yeah. 
close. Uh, Black, Black Panther's two forty two. Um, Avatar's three hours. Yeah. Um, she said it's two fifteen. Yeah, two ten, two fifteen. It's not short either. The shortest movie this year, I think, would be Woman Talking at one forty. How long is uh Banshees? Oh, one forty. So that yeah. yeah I mean, I, everything every once is also like two ten. Two ten, yeah. Like, Fifteen, like that's long. Movie. I did forget to mention Banshees. Love Banshees. I think that I think Gleason is one of the worst characters. I think he's the worst <laughs> cinematic character yeah. of the year. He's worse than Lydia Tarr. Like, and I and I say that in with terms like, of like a, a person as a person. Yeah, as a person, I think he's yeah, just okay. awful. And she's just yeah. uh, like, just don't be friends with the guy. Simple. Yeah. Says, I've never... Go ahead. Yeah. One last thing I want to say is. Interesting. It was not it, best original screenplay. There's three foreign language nominees that this year's Academy, the 1962 one. So I mean, we talked again, like the Academy's getting more international these days. Back then, they were nominating foreign language films all the time for stuff, and it was great. You see, Igmar Bergman and Fellini have like ten nominations each over their yeah. careers. It's crazy. And now they're and, we have to fight for that. Yeah. Now you got to be like, who's going to be the one nominee this year? The one movie that gets through. And back then, they were like. We'll give it to four different films. Who cares? They're all great. Like I, I set off the line, the fact that Hunter and I, because we love All Quiet so much, like we literally are like begging for more than one nomination is kind of a travesty. I know. It's like this movie deserves like six, seven nominations. Easy, easy. Like it should be, if it wasn't a German film that it was like the third priority by Netflix, it would be. But I, I at least it's on Netflix, I guess. Jack, do you want to go into AFI? Go for it. What do you got? Uh, so, Lawrence of Arabia was ranked number seventh on Lawrence, on uh, the AFI Top 100 Movies list in 2007. Was the number one epic on their top ten list of the best epics. T.E. Lawrence was ranked as the tenth best cinematic hero. Uh, Maurice Jarre's score was ranked three out of movie scores of all time, and it is the 23rd most thrilling movie of all time. So, Ooh, yeah, that was great for it. What's on the epics? That's not including The Godfather. Or is that including, like, no, The Ten Commandments, God- Cleopatra, stuff that- like that? Cleopatra, Ben-Hur was in second place. Okay. Um, yeah, mm. so more along, like, the biblical epics. Uh, I think Saving Private Ryan might have been, or Schindler's List might have been in that mix, mm-hmm. too. Got yeah. it. All right, let's get into what's aged the best. Jack? kick it off okay um so the first thing obviously we need to talk about is the score i every single piece of it honestly and they need to drop it all because there's a lot of music in the movie that's not on the score uh unlike spotify and apple music that i have to go to the movie itself to listen to (laughs) i mean if ben-hur can get that treatment lawrence of arabia certainly should um the feeling of heat. I think everything <laughs> in the desert, especially once you hit the sun's anvil, he does a really good job of it. Also in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, especially in the scenes where uh, mm. Guinness is like trapped in like that box where they just have the shots of the sun. But here mm. he just goes full on insane with it. Um, the holding off of the desert, I also think it works really well because when I first watched it and I just saw the top-down shot of, like, grass and, like, the village. I was expecting the desert, so just the holding off on it. And then I think that just is what makes the match cut even more effective. Um, the Mirage sequence, 
obviously. I mean, Steven Spielberg called that a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's still just one of the best-looking things in any movie that I've ever seen. Um, the politics of the movie, I mm-hmm. think, age really well with you. Because when like, yeah. I first saw this, I was just kind of like, well, like, wh- why aren't they working well together? And then my friend pointed that out to me as well. Uh, but like now that you're watching it as you get older, you're kind of understanding more about like their individual motivations and like why they're not like getting along. So mm-hmm. I think rewatching the movie as, as you continue to learn more about like that history also works really well. Um, I think maybe my, the thing that's aged the best for me with my rewatch is Gassum's arc, everything involving Gossam, um from mm. when he's alive. He has the line of, after he catches Farage and Daoud sneaking water, Allah favors the compassionate. And then that obviously plays into Lawrence going back and saving him only to have to execute him right before Aqaba. And mm-hmm. there's actually some inaccuracy with that too. Uh, Lawrence actually, there was no like big argument before he went back. Lawrence just went back without anyone knowing. So then everyone woke up the next day and was like, Where's Lawrence? Mm. But little did anyone know, he just went back to go get him. Uh, and then on top of the gossip, just everything with the Sun's Anvil, really. Once he fought, the feeling of dread once it shows up, the kind of relief you get once they cross it, followed by Gossam falling asleep, and then just the tension and the music of Maurice Jarre, just like the percussion, really, of Gossam walking through the desert, Lawrence trying to find him. Building up to that, the peak of the movie for me, which is uh, Dawood finding Lawrence in the desert with the more, with the peak Maurice Jar music playing in the background. So mm-hmm. those All are right. the big ones for me. All right. Do you got anything, Hunter? Um, uh, obviously, we mentioned the editing. Uh, it's definitely the best. Outside of maybe the, the, the chariot scene in Ben-Hur, you nev- don't think about editing in any of those big, three-hour epics of the time. Obviously, they had to be good editing to, to, to survive that long of a movie, but you don't really think about it. It's just like, ah, she's good editing. This one is like, wow, this movie makes the movie, like so many of the scenes substantially better. It was uh, inspired by the French New Wave kind of editing at the time, the radical kind of jump cuts and stuff, and you could definitely tell in here. I mean, because that, that match cut, you don't see that in any other movie of the time period, no. really, at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at all. And it just it just comes, it just happens out of nowhere. I was like, oh, wow, when I saw it in the theater, I've never noticed it before. So that was, that's probably my favorite thing about this movie is the editing. And the, the like Jack said, the politics of it, where it, one, of the, one of the characters, I don't remember his name, he's one of the bigger characters, he talks, Lawrence says he's like uniting the Arabs together and he's like I've heard of this tribe this tribe this tribe and this tribe but mm-hmm. I've never heard of this Arab tribe and that was that's that was that one's a huge one I love about that and the portrayal of Lawrence he's not the great you know savior of of the desert the Middle East he's he's pretty brash he's pretty egotistical a little bit he's a little bit of a warlord by the end of the movie but yeah they never take away the fl- his flaws which I appreciate no, a lot that's what I love. You know, you see some of those those biopics of the time that were like, he was a saintly character. It's like, no, no, Lawrence was a great guy, but some of his motives were always a little wrong. Yeah, I concur. And then uh, I'll add some fun ones here. I, I mentioned Jar's. You guys have already mentioned Jar's score. Cinematic desert sequences. Oh, my mm. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Technicolor. 
there's nothing better for me than watching a Technicolor movie from the 50s and 60s. Like, it's just mm. perfection for me. Uh, yeah. You guys mentioned the match transition. Uh, but we talk about the transition, but just the rising sun on the desert of that following shot where we transition mm. to the desert and you see the rising yeah. sun that just hits. Um, and Coates editing this movie in a couple of months. Just had put that as age the best. Yeah. Uh, you guys haven't mentioned it yet, but one of my favorite scenes is with Lawrence is admiring his garbs, and you see his shadow mm-hmm. within the shadow. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably one of my favorite moments in the movie. Good one. And uh, then he runs into Auda, like mm-hmm. right in that next scene. <laughs> um, the action set pieces in the film, especially with that budget, are phenomenal. Uh, Jack and I talked about this off the line: the quicksand death. Oh my god! I it, it's that. scary. Yeah, it, it it's so effective because like it's it's not like it's weird. Like it doesn't like make me sad, but it just like really just like lands the punch, and you're just like, damn man! Like it 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 shows the brutality of desert where like you see someone in quicksand, you're like, well, that sucks. They're dead. That's just how it be. Like you have to be just accept it right off right away because they're dead. It's over. And- and the last one I have, because of the year we're in right now, three-hour epics. That's aged quite well with the year that we're mm. in right now. I, I I am always a fan of big event movies like Upcoming Babylon and Avatar, where it's like this three-hour original, not that Lawrence Ruby is original, but like these just big, huge movies that are like, everyone go see it, and we'll see what it's big original takes on something. Like we have it, like Hunter and I will be seeing Babylon in a few weeks, and uh-huh. what I appreciate, it rem- I don't think... I'm not going to say I don't think. I don't know if the movie's going to be as good as La La Land. However, what I will say is that Chazelle and 16 took a big swing of making an original musical during a time that that was not. And it still is not a thing. And it worked. Mm-hmm. Now he comes back three years or five or six years later at this point. Yeah. And he's making a movie that is an original story a th- mm-hmm. at three hours mm-hmm. about the 20s. Oh. About the silent era of Hollywood and the transition to talkies, it it's hard R too. Yeah, like, from what we're what we've been told, like n- this ain't no PG thirteen family affair. This is watch out, don't bring the kids for sure. But Chazelle's already one of those directors that I think will sell well in terms of. Oh yeah, I think the mm-hmm. box office won't be a hundred million, but I think it'll do pretty well no. for itself. Um, I am hugely anticipating that yeah, movie. Yeah, me too. It's my number. It was my number one anticipated of the year outside of the Batman and. The Batman was a great, another great three-hour movie this year. Um, yeah, yeah. And then what's aged the worst? I, this should be a short one for all of us. I only have one thing, and that's because of today's casual moviegoer, the four-minute prologue, where the mu- where the music is just playing in the opening to a black screen. Oh, but mm. but I like that because I. I well, you, I but like we like because that. when I when I went when I went and saw the movie, I was getting the full overture intermission. I was here for the full deal, so I like that. But I get I totally get what you mean though. Like there totally you, it. me, Jack, like guys we know, girls we know, like that are into film, we can sit that's a catnip for us. Like give me all of that. Oh, but yeah. can you yeah. like imagining like Joe Schmo up from like Yonkers goes to the he's like, I want to see this desert movie and four minutes of darkness and an overture, he's getting up. I can see him be like, "All right, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, let me get I, my money I would back." I say, I, I did the film club for our school for three years. I never, I, I would try before the movie started. 
before I would try to play music from the films just quietly enough in the room to try to get a feel for it going in. Sure. Yeah. So like for Hereditary or for like um, Saving Private Ryan or like movies like that, I'd play like a theme of it when everyone's walking in. So subliminally they would get um, into the movie, mood of the movie. But I will say if you're just looking at a blank screen for four minutes, it is a little like I was like, maybe there should be a shot maybe, of the desert here. Or yeah, maybe, maybe they, they put the word overture. Yeah, kind of a similar issue with 2001. Like they just put the word overture there. People be like, yeah. oh, okay. Like it's just music before the movie. Like West Side yeah. Story does it better than anybody because it has just oh, like, yeah. the random color sequences while the overture yeah, is the, going the, that, on. Yeah, that 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 fade that ends up fading into the New York skyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, d- yeah. Do you have anything in that's age the worst? Oh wait, I forgot. Alec Guinness. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Alec get Alec Guinness yeah. the big one, and then also. Four hours and not a single like word spoken from a single woman. That's just oh, interesting. Yes. Like I, I obviously understand. Like you know, it was World War One, and like it's a historical event, and like that was definitely an event that was primarily revolving around men. But like one word, and like you get like two shots of women throughout the movie, and one I... of them is like them yodeling up on the hill or <laughs> doing like the war cry as they're all going off to uh, Aqaba. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean that's just kind of signs of the times, more so. I speaking of my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster, when I saw, I knew that there was no women roles in the movie, which obviously is bad. But like when I saw a woman in the movie at like three hour mark, I did the Leonardo DiCaprio point, like ah, yeah. ah, a woman, a woman, <laughs> like because like there's not in this movie. So and I, it kind of unfortunately makes sense also because David Lean was a really bad dude personally kind of he was a big dick he cheated on all his wives he was just not a nice guy at all so yeah maybe it's good that there was no women there to to take that on him because they don't no one deserves that touche also yeah alec guinness says an arab um you can't even use the excuse like oh he was an unknown nobody knows he only won best actor five years earlier like everybody knows who alec guinness is like okay and on top of that they were gonna go do a gaudy movie with him instead of that so (laughs) <laughs> and then and then and then um david lean's last movie a passage to india which is like in the mid 84 i think alec guinness plays an indian in that movie it's, it, it's just like dude he was in star wars a few years ago everybody knows who alec guinness is you can't pass him off as an indian for, <laughs> sh- for sure uh so what about it's, you it's, uh... jack you got anything uh that was that, that was, was it fun. okay cool yeah, yeah so well, yeah that, oh that and also the <clears throat> the concept of no prisoners in war uh that is definitely not something that's done anymore mm. uh but yeah, yeah i mean i there's not that much i think that's age the worst all right i got, I got one, one oh more. you got it's one me. more go for not, it not bad N- nitpick i i nitpick and maybe the, the my least favorite scene in the movie is the um quote-unquote homosexual scene with the the the, the captain where he undresses lawrence and like kind of humiliates him a little bit about his body it, it kind of comes not out of nowhere but i think it's more of a low point of the movie that scene in the in the town so i don't know i i you guys know the scene i'm talking about yeah i do i do okay. that's because uh... they kind of are commenting a little bit on lawrence's sexuality and mm-hmm. the, the the evil cabins a little bit but it kind of just goes in and then just goes out and i don't think it carries it through enough so yeah. I don't know. It's it's probably my least favorite scene in the movie, but I don't hate that scene either. It it is the scene that kind of like 
I think is the big factor that like causes him to like want to get out of like the Arab revolt True. like and put in his like resignation. But I, I do think the execution of the seed was while I appreciate they were trying to be like kind of vague about it and still like get the message across. Yeah. I, I think it also might just be like something where like the, they assume that like the British viewers know like what's happening. Like, I feel like if yeah. the people in Britain like watch the beginning of the movie, like that's like watching Abraham Lincoln, like going to the Ford's theater. Like they, like if you know the history, yeah. like, you know, like, so what's about to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I also get this. It's the sixties. They're not going to show on full on gay stuff in that. Yeah. You know, they can't, they, they ain't going to do that. So it makes sense. Alrighty. So let's get to our awards here. Uh, so Hunter, Jack, and I were talking about this first one, and I, I already, I, I felt like there was an obvious one, but I'm curious as to where Jack landed. So we have the Joe Spinell that guy award of the film. Did mm. you end up where I ended up, Jack, or did you end up somewhere else? Where did you end up? I did end up with Claude Rains. Okay. Uh, See, I, I totally get that. Just to me, he's Claude Rains because I've seen him in so many movies mm-hmm. that are either in my top 100 or have hovered. Mm-hmm. So for reference, he was in The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Invisible Man, uh, Casablanca, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Notorious, Lawrence of Arabia. So yeah. he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, so he's Claude Rains to me, but I'm sure to a lot of people, he would just be the guy from Casablanca. So mm-hmm. I totally get that. One really big deep cut that I found, uh, Ian McNaughton, who plays Michael George Hartley, the guy who... Uh, Lawrence works with like in the beginning when he's like sent to meet with uh, the general gets sent to Arabia. Uh, Mm -hmm. He directed almost all of Monty Python's flying circus. So he's just like a multiple Emmy winner. Who's just like sitting there talking with Peter O'Toole. But this was a few years before that happened. Quite interesting thing I found in my research, but I do, I do think it probably is Claude Rains, although Mm -hmm. I am very well aware of him. Yeah. Hunter, what what do you got here? Uh, Claude Rains is also one of mine, but I think one of mine I love is uh, Donald Wolfett as General Murray, who shares almost all the scenes with Claude Rains. He's so mm-hmm. not funny, but like he's just always suspicious of Lawrence and just doesn't take his shit half the time when mm-hmm. Lawrence is like quipping at him or trying to mess with him. He's just no nonsense. And he's kind of funny opposites. So he's that usual like stick up his ass kind of general at the time. And he, he mm-hmm. goes with Claude Rains and, and Peter Tool in the same scene with him, he gets uh, he's so funny to watch him try to react to the the the, the, the intellectual kind of humor that those two have. Nice. Um this next one should be the I think he's the easiest one, the Al Martino miscast of the award. So obviously the answer is Alec Guinness, but it's hard to also put that there because when I created this category, it was more on the not only was the person miscast, I don't think they were very good in the movie. I think Alec Guinness is very good in the movie. It's just mm-hmm. he's obviously just miscast as yeah the character. Yeah. Um, do you have anything different, guys? That was the big one for me. Uh, the one person who I was trying to look for a spot for, uh, his name is Sabu. He was in a lot of movies, uh, also with Alexander Korda back in the forties. So mm. he was also in Black Narcissus uh, from Michael Powell. So he was kind of a uh, he, he was like a British kind of film like legend in a little way back in like the forties and fifties. Uh, he died in 63. So there would have been like his last movie had he be in there. Uh, and you actually get some Indian actors in a movie that's surround that's 
about them. So at least you can mm-hmm. <laughs> be somewhat, uh, aside from Omar Sharif, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, um, like you said, Dave, is Alec Guinness. I, said, I even wrote it literally. He's like, Alec Guinness in principle, but he's great in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to deny, like, he's fucking great. It's like, it, I feel bad, because I'm like, he really, really shouldn't be in this role, but he's really, really good in it, yep. so I'm like, well, this is a problem. <laughs> um, next one up is, I I guarantee I will probably be the only one that has these two. The Detlef Shrimp, sixth man of the film, the best supporting player of the film. Um, I'll, I'll start with Hunter. What do you have here? Okay, good. I, I get to go first here. I have Anthony Quinn as Ada Abu Tai. <clears throat> Just because he has so many good lines, which maybe should have won the screenplay Oscar because he said, thy mother made it with a scorpion. <laughs> That's a great line. And then um, he, uh, Lawrence, I think it's after Lawrence goes in the desert to save the, the, the kid or whatever. He tells him, like, then you are a fool. Be thankful that when God made you a fool, he gave you a fool's face. Hilarious as well. And this, the great line is, you are using up your nine lives very quickly. He has like there's like three or four like just peak lines. I'm like, yep, that guy is like anything Lawrence does, he reacts perfectly to it. So that's why I loved him in it. What do you got, Jack? Uh, I'll go on and throw on to Anthony Quinn. He also has one of probably the most prophetic lines in the movie, and that it's the last scene of I think it's the last scene of both Aura and uh, Ali. And he says to Ali as he's leaving, he says, "Being an Arab will be more thornier than you believe," which that is certainly a line that has aged in time. Um, mm-hmm. Best supporting actor, uh, I excluded Sharif and Quinn personally just because I feel like they're too central to the movie. I kind of wanted to go on the sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claude Rains again. Uh, I mean, I think he's just one of the great soft speakers in movies. He's great mm-hmm. to play a politician like he was in mm-hmm. Mr. Smith. Um, also, the uh, the guide who takes him to... Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Tries to take him to Faisal yes. at the beginning. I think those few scenes with him are really, really good, and it kind of begins to make us. It begins to make us feel more for Lawrence. Those scenes with him, and then mm-hmm. his death at the Mirage was just excellent as well. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of just like Dion Waiters esque players in this. <laughs> so and, and then and then Gossim too. I think everything with him is good. Um. Yeah, it definitely didn't go where I'm going. Okay, great. Um, so I have two supporting players, and I say I players because they may not be Ooh. actors. So <laughs> the desert is one. Uh, okay. He went out of the box here. And none of us have talked about it. I'm glad they were saving it here. The camels. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. The so- camels. My friend kind of ruined this for me. I still love it, but he oh, met, so made the funniest <laughs> He made the funniest point in that when you're watching the camels in the wide shots run, it kind of looks like humans, like human legs in like a camel suit, <laughs> just by how fast they're running. It, uh, so, so now whenever I... <laughs> now whenever I, I, mean, watch, I would I, I wouldn't call camels majestic creatures either, so, you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, oh, I I just feel like with so much so much work that they did in the in this movie, no one ever talks oh, yeah. about the camels, man. Um, yeah. But then I knew you guys would take care of the rest, so I wanted to have at these here. And then uh, the Becky O'Shea Icebox MVP of the film, it's Peter O'Toole for me. And I I know that Jack is going to take care of the text, but Hunter, do you have anyone but Peter O'Toole? Um, see, I would have. I was thinking maybe I go David Lean because. 
he's doing sec he's doing secondary work on everything the score the cinematography setting up mm -hmm. the shots the acting he's influenced the acting so like if you're responsible for everything about this movie you kind of so i might have to give him it because it's probably the most well-directed movie i've ever seen mm -hmm. one of these so i would have to give him the mvp award jack okay I've got five nominees here, uh, the first of which David Lean. I think this is probably – well, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this when we get to Peaks, but I'll touch on it now. This is like the balancing point of his career, I think. I think before this, his stories were very like deep and personal, and then after this, he kind of gets more into like the big scope of everything. So yeah. I think this was where he really balanced those two things. Uh, Maurice Jarre. I mean, we talked about this a bit on E.T., Dave, but if you want to talk about movies where so much of the power and emotion relies on the score, this is up there. Because without it, it's just a bunch of scenes of camels walking in. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the complete enjoyment of it all is just lost with the music. Uh, and V. Coates. I, I think it's time I run through that. Yes, let's hear it. List of hers, oh, there you go, all yeah. Right. So here yeah. we go. So she edited also the murder on the Orient Express, the original '74 version. She edited the Elephant Man. Uh, she edited Greystoke, the Legend of Tarzan. There you go. She edited Rod Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. She edited Masters of the Universe. Yes, <laughs> let's go. She edited Chaplin. What about Bob? The Golden Compass. Aaron Brockovich and Fifty Shades of Grey. What a credit list yeah. from the editor of Lawrence of Arabia. There's not really a theme of much for movies. No, like, not at so, all. She's, like, like, she's a working editor. She yeah, takes the like, job and does it well. There's some, <laughs> like, she goes to work with, like, Richard Admiral for Chaplin, who's a huge, like, British person. Yeah, but, like, then she does Fifty Shades, and then she does, like, three Steven Soderbergh movies, which are very different. I'm like... Which is kind of cool that she does so many different things. So it's nice. Dare I say, Masters of the Universe is her biggest take there. <laughs> I can't I mean, believe she, she, she did that movie. She was on to something. How about that? She was on to something. That's just insane. Um, I'll ask you, Jack, from that credit, what should she have won an Oscar for? Outside of Lawrence. Does she have like three nominations or four nominations outside of it, Lawrence? I think she was up for Elephant Man. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because I don't got a ton. Maybe Murder on the Orient Express, and then I think actually Golden Compass, because I think that won VFX that year. Mm, gotcha. Uh, but then my other two nominees were Peter O'Toole, and I'm not sure if we actually put a name to the cinematographer yet. Freddie Young. Freddie Young, yeah. Yeah. Who, I mean, mm -hmm. the, I, he, he went on to do Lean's later stuff, like uh, Dr. Zhivago and Ryan's Daughter, but this mm -hmm. man, if, if he had done... Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, I, there would be the argument that he's the greatest cinematographer of all time. Oh, he, he didn't Ford, do it? I, I thought he did. No, I, it was interesting because that was also just like the different camera technology. That was kind of more like like the cinema scope uh, and like that yeah. stuff before they went two to diff animation. Two different movies, actually, in terms of, yeah, whole production. <laughs> all righty. And then uh, Peaks and Valley, uh, I got a few nominees here. <laughs> is this the peak for sand oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean it's it's the bar was set way too i don't even know like i'm trying to think of other desert movies um uh Eng english patient because that one won nine raiders Oscars. of the lost ark would be up there for me too 
I think everything in the Cairo desert was just awesome. That's true. Um, what a oh something else we haven't really touched on about just like the insanity of the production. Think about the logistics of shooting with sand. Like they had, they would shoot a scene and you would not see camel tracks. But then, like, you'd have to imagine, like, well, how many takes of that had they shot? Because then they have oh, to yeah. recover the camel tracks. Mm-hmm. And they apparently banned, like, paper or plastic cups on the set because they would blow into the frame. Mm-hmm. And so they had to use, like, mugs exclusively. And even yeah. the shot or the scene of, um, it's a scene of them in the tent uh, when uh, Faisal kind of has that one-on-one with Lawrence before he has, like, his brainstorming session in the desert. That's legitimately just a tent in the desert. Like that's not on a soundstage or anything. So no. the I, I to see yeah, extent at which they filmed in the desert is insane. I do also love that the all the night scenes are just yes. on the day with filters, which I'm like I, I I have not. I do not. I should look it up. Like when do they look like? Because I didn't even notice when watching the movie. Like the, the like they didn't look artificial or anything. So yeah, just, that's in the. The, the the new Jordan Peele movie Nope, where they said they shot everything during the day and they just did filters and stuff for like just the night awesome. scenes. I'm like, I, I gotta look up how they did that because never once noticed or like thought about it. So I was like, man, especially for 1962 standards too, where I still today I did not even think about it once. I'm still looking here. Um, Kundun? Does Kundun have sand? <laughs> that's in um, that's in Tibet, so it's a little different. It's a little, there's some deserts in Tibet, um, in that kind of Tibet, Nepal area, but it's more mountains. Dune. Well, that's sci-fi desert. That's not real desert. <laughs> the laws of that desert are much different than the real desert. There's not sandworms in the Middle East. And then finally, the Three Kings, the I've David Russell movie. That's yeah, all. That's, that's all. That's all I got. But yeah, moral yeah. moral of the story: Lawrence is the goat. Um, oh, yeah. Let me see what else I got here. Is this peak camels? Oh yeah, well, I, I, this one even more. So I don't know what's on the Mount Rushmore. That's the Mount Everest, if anything. <laughs> the only thing I could think of is the Mummy, the Brendan yeah, Fraser movie. Yeah. That's, that's kind true. of all there's I got. Hor- there's horses in there, there too, though. There's horses. That in is that true. Um, is this the peak for deserts? Is that the same as sand, pretty well, much? Well, going back to the yeah. sand conversation, yeah. Pretty much. Is this peak Peter O'Toole? I know it's he... Funny I... If, it's funny if so, because that's just like his first movie, really. He had like two credits prior, but... I it's mean, hard to say at... peak, but it kind of has to be. It, it is like the hardest... It's the quickest... Ri- if, if we're talking about like climaxes, it's like the quickest rising action, probably, of any. Because like, I... It's kind of on the same, like, you could argue, like, Orson Welles' peak in Citizen Kane, not only for the performance, but, like, for his full filmmaking contribution, but, mm-hmm. I mean, you could also make the argue argument later in the, the decade for Lion and Winter, maybe, because I think that's mm-hmm. kind of when he's got his full, I think that's where he, if not for Lawrence, he should have won there. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's definitely, like, the biggest, the quickest peak, and then the, like, slowest decline kind mm-hmm. of because he got yeah. six he, he's got the, he's got then, the like, best the next, valley for sure because he got uh, yeah six nominations in the next 20 years is like that's not really a fall if you're doing that on yeah on the record, it's just so. you never reached that performance but like it's lawrence arabia is just just that yeah. movie like you just you know this one feels easy is this peak for david lean yeah right because yep, yep. essentially he wins two back-to-back best pictures and two back-to-back directors so i it's I, it's kind of the same as 
a little bit like O'Toole. Like Doctor Zhivago was a huge success, Oscars that, and financially. I think that was the number one movie box office of the year that year. Doctor oh, Zhivago is still like in the top ten highest grocers adjusted for inflation. I think yeah. I've never seen it. So. It's I've it's seen, the I've one that like sticks like out. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen it either because like everything's like Sound of Music's on there, uh, Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, and it's like. Dr. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago. It's like, <laughs> nobody's ever talked about this movie ever, and yet it's here, which I still want to see it. But, like, Ryan's Daughter and A Passion to India I have not seen, but nobody really talks about those. So it's and like... There, there was also a lot of Oscar layover for those for those two movies. Like, Maurice Shaw won Best Score for both. I think Freddie yeah. Young best, won Best Cinematography for yeah. both. So... But and still, like, once you the go... Text, best the texture picture... there, but it doesn't have the story to make it past the three-hour yeah. mark. And if you do best picture, best director twice in a row, you really can't top that. Top that, yeah. So, and then last one is this: the peak of dying in quicksand. But uh, there's that scene in the artist. That's the fake movie quicksand. That's (laughs) um, that's pretty cool. I like that scene. But it's a whole whole different context for that, though. It's it's peak dying in quicksand because I think peak quicksand you also have to factor in blazing saddles. So. A movie I've still not seen. <laughs> what? You got you got to see Blazing Saddles. Yeah, it's I think you had it rated like really low for some reason. Yeah, because I I put it on when I was like 16 years old, and I saw 25 minutes of it, and I was like, oh, this is not it at all. Yeah, I have I have too many. I have like nearly a dozen of those movies. I saw like 14. I was like, oh, this isn't good. And now I'm like, man, I'm such an idiot. But I haven't yeah. seen it since, so I can't change the rating. I'm like, well, I haven't seen it, but obviously I watched it when I shouldn't have. Um, all right, Jack. Do you have any peaks I missed? Uh, overtures. I think yes. Uh, if, think... if we're just talking about the music, oh, just, well, man, that's really think. all you can't talk about. Because they kind of stopped you'll... around the around the seventies. They were kind of fading out by then. The only one I would say that would rival it would come the year prior, and that's West Side Story. Because yeah. I think I think both of those pieces and just like the combination of the music that they choose was incredible yeah i think i'm going the god side because the godfathers not like originally do not have overtures right i don't know they don't no they they don't okay i was pretty sure like they didn't i don't remember i know two has an intermission yes it does have that which is amazing and i I love i i love i don't know if um it's it's another topic for another podcast but when you look at best cutoff points and in intermissions for movies, I think Godfather Two probably has the best one. Right Which after one that one ended. Right, um, right, a- right after Vito kills Don Chichi. Oh, yeah, not Chichi. Is it Chichi? I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I yeah. Right. I know no. you're talking about though. Yeah. And then he I, ends up with the fan with Michael and his fam, Michael and the boys and stuff like that. I think that's like yeah. the best for me. Do you have something, Jack? That's probably mine too, actually. My number one is probably 2001, like the Hal realization, or you, the audience realizing that Hal is reading their lips, and then it just cuts to intermission. So then you That's gotta go through that. I kind of can't wait to do a 2001 podcast so we can talk about how stupid <laughs> David and his fucking compadre are for like not thinking that. Why, why did they make the? They put in the effort to turn the pod back around when they could have just had the conversation facing away from how yep and they wouldn't like look at him but another podcast for another day yep. kubrick um, not the greatest director shame no director. shame on him uh, you already touched on a lot of my other peaks the big one 
I thought of, and this is a legitimate conversation, probably that we could have for another podcast. I think it is quite possibly the peak of Best Director Oscars. If we want to look at the definition of what we consider it to be today, and just like the overall contribution to the movie-making environment, I think they, they, this is just kind of one of the first like examples of kind of what we associate the best director with today when we're like prognosticating what could be the winner, like the big technical achievement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's maybe there's maybe like two or three others I'd put up there, but it's the Mount Rushmore for sure. I would say. I mean, Spielberg's Oscars would be close, but they wouldn't um probably wouldn't surpass. Maybe Coppola's for part two. Yeah, I, I think was Peter, Coppola, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. I Peter would Jackson, put up there yeah. too. That's that's close to it as well. Yeah, it might be the peak, just because those are all close, but I don't think they just quite reached David Lean. And then yeah. the one that I would put prior, or the only one prior that I would say has a sizable chance of being up there would be Victor Fleming for Gone with the Wind, but he also yeah, shared yeah. that directing credit with like three other people. True. So. Same with the Robert Wise West Side Story one, which is. Mm-hmm. Him and Jerome Robbins. Yeah, it might be one of the greatest. Like, that's, I think, that's why he was my MVP. It's just one of the greatest best director. Just term, top down, every aspect, technical, emotional, story-wise acting. It was all David Lean input to it, and all is masterful. Nice. Uh, anything else on your end, Jack? Uh, not for Peaks, no. All right. What, Hunter, do you got anything we missed? No, not for Peaks. I think we touched on everybody. All right. And then, Jack, since uh, – actually, Hunter – I'll let you take off. Who, what, who, or what had the best career after? Best, best career after. I, since we did say it's technically peak Peter O'Toole, but if the amount of movies, nominations, just interesting roles he had afterwards is insane. That he went from this high of a movie and then still continued to work at that high of a level for so long, I think would be a career. Maybe runner up would be Alec Guinness, but most because of Star Wars and other stuff, but I, I think Peter O'Toole would have to be it. Yeah, same for me. Uh, Jack, what do you got? Yeah, P- I mean, Peter O'Toole, I mean, had it not be for those two movies prior, there would definitely be the argument that this would be like the best debut performance ever mm-hmm. in, a, in a film. I think I think Orson Welles might have that distinction for Citizen Kane, but I mean, it's just one of the best... It's. What a, what a smash! I mean, and the fact that he tied for best newcomer with Omar Sharif too, mm-hmm. who I don't think had as fruitful of a career, unfortunately, as Peter O'Toole did, because he's it's, he's insanely good. I think he, mm-hmm. I think he deserved to would have deserved to have won best supporting actor that year as well. Yeah, yeah, I concur. And yeah, I mean, Alec Guinness would have been an easy out with Star Wars, but you know, I I agree yeah. with you guys. All right, cool. Yeah. Before we finish up, I have two more things I want to cover. So, I did not. I I I told Jack this news Friday because that's when I discovered it. So this movie had a sequel. What? Uh, oh, it, oh, with Ray Fiennes. Is it that one? Yes, it's called A Dangerous yeah. Man: Lawrence After Arabia, yeah. directed by Christopher Manuel, written by Tim Ross Price. Um. This movie follows the experiences of T.E. Lawrence and Emer Faisal, Faisal of the Haiz at the Paris Peace Conference after the end of the First World War. Why this movie is notable, because like Hunter just said, this is the acting debut of Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. 
And because mm, so- of this movie, Spielberg saw this movie and cast him in a little movie after this called Schindler's List. Which I have not seen the sequel to Lawrence Rivia, nor will I probably ever. I'm not interested. But I'm wondering, what's the connection between Amon Goeth, the biggest Nazi villain of all time, and Lawrence of Arabia? I wonder what Spielberg saw there <laughs> to get that together. But maybe that... it is, because Lawrence of Arabia is like a cl- kind of a more quiet and um, conflicted character, and Amon Goeth is not some big bad guy, you know, that's cackling in the back the whole time. So I guess there's some similarities, but And it did win an Emmy, Jack. So maybe this oh, will it won for, an in, for what? International Emmy in nineteen ninety two for best drama. Mm. So I think How this... could they she made a television sequel to Lawrence Arabia, the most cinematic movie of all time. The sequel's Make a television for TV. Movie. <laughs> God The desert scenes are just like at the fucking local California beach. I you might as well go to the sand bottom pool in my town here at Minnesota Beach. Do that. All right. God. And then to finish up, I have some little trivia about the film. Uh, Jack, I know you're the biggest fan of the movie outside of me and Hunter. So if I miss anything, please let me know. I know you. So number one, on his first location scouting trip in Jordan, David Lean discovered the remains of a Turkish locomotive and railroad tracks that T.E. Lawrence actually destroyed during the revolution after 40 years in the sun they hadn't even rusted so that was a pretty cool find yeah that's the, that's the crazy thing that uh, I, I think people kind of forget when they watch the movie that like these events had only happened like a few decades prior so it was yeah. fresh in a lot of people's like minds when like the movie came out so mm-hmm. um this movie was banned in many arab countries as they felt arab historical figures and the arab peoples were misrepresented Omar Sharif arranged the viewing with President Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt to show him that there was nothing wrong with the way that they were portrayed. Nasser loved the movie and allowed it to be released in Egypt, Egypt, where it went on to become a monster hit. Similar fashion mm-hmm. to The Godfather when it was shown to the mobsters of New York. Mm-hmm. Mm, true. Um, number three, the movie took longer to make than it did for the real T.E. Lawrence to go from lieutenant to colonel and to see the, de- the desert tribes united and thus tip the balance in the Allies' favor against the Turks in the World War in World War One. Sure. Um, costume designer Phyllis Dalton deliberately made Peter O'Toole's army outfit too small to signify Lawrence's discomfort with military uniforms. Next up, yeah. this Next is. Out. This is pretty cool. I didn't know this in regards to the cinematography. To film Omar Sharif's entrance through a, a mirage, Freddie Young used a special 482 millimeter lens from Panavision. Panavision still has this lens, and it is known among cinematographers as the David Lean lens. It was created specifically for that shot and has never been used since. Better never be used again. Yeah, put it in a museum. Yeah, I see that thing going to the Academy Museum soon. If it's not there I already, I hope so. Unless Spiel, Spiel, if Spielberg wants to make his western, then maybe he's going to buy exception. it. <laughs> then I'll make an exception for Spielberg because he really loves this movie. That's so all he has left, him. right? Spielberg to yeah, make a western. That's, that's, that's the only thing he's saying he wants to do left. So, unfortunately, doesn't have a ton of time. Not that I'm worried, but like you know, just natural order of things. Yeah, I know. West and westerns are tough. Especially in yeah. today's climate. 
Um, it's, it's him and him and Scorsese where they're like, oh, I want to make three or four more. These are the three, five more movies I want to make. I'm like, well, you kind of got to hurry. Yep, let's, please, uh, please make yeah. them fast. I want them. I will say Marty did like after the Irishman, we already, you know, Flower Moon should have came out this year. So he did pick up the pace uh, on that one. The problem is he takes 18,000 years to edit his movies, which makes sense. They're all one of the most edit, well edited movies of the year, but it just takes forever to do that. Yeah. Uh, during an appearance on the Tonight Show. In the 1970s, Peter O'Toole was uh, describing just how long the movie took to make. He referred to the scene where Lawrence and Edmund Allenby, Allenby, after their meeting, continued talking while walking down a staircase. According to O'Toole, part of the scene had to be reshot much later. So in the final print, when I go to the bottom of the stairs, I am a year older than when I started walking down the stairs. See, that? that's funny. Yeah, that's great. Now I have to go all of Unfortunately, I'll have to do the sacrilegious thing and watch that on YouTube, the, scene, the movie on YouTube. But I want to find that scene just to see. And now uh, going to what Jack had mentioned over, who was who turned down the role of playing Lawrence? We have two. We have uh, Albert Finney. Who's actually closer to uh, Peter O'Toole, not Peter O'Toole, uh, T.E. Lawrence's real height. Uh, I think he was actually like 5'7". And Marlon Brando. Yeah. Don't, eh. don't think I, the movie I, works with him. No, I love Marlon Brando, but he's he's he, that would have been the miscast award where it's like great actor, maybe not for that role. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I totally agree. He probably would have lived in the sand throughout the entire uh, filmmaking yeah. process with his uh, uh, director David Lean wanted Brando specifically because of uh, Sam Spiegel producing on the waterfront, and that's kind of what led to the idea of having him. Uh, uh, for the movie, the scene uh where Lawrence is given his first A-Rap clothes wasn't working as written. So the scene where the ultimate scene that we got was more ad-libbed, where he's just admiring his garbs. Um, this is interesting. For uh, I have three more. Uh, 1989 reconstruction and restoration of the film. Many scenes of the dialogue were actually missing. As a result, Peter O'Toole and several living principals returned and re-recorded dialogue for more than 20 years previously. For principals who had died in uh, in, in intervening years, sounded like actors were employed, which is mm-hmm. interesting. It's it's fun to go back and watch the movie because I'm pretty sure I can hear parts where it like was not them. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them actually. Uh, I'm pretty sure it I don't think it's been hard confirmed, but it's been rumored that the voice who screams, Who are you? to uh Lawrence and uh mm-hmm. Farage as they come out of the uh desert is David Lean. Oh cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not I'm not sure if that was him in the original movie because of all the like restorations and remasters that have been done, but it's an interesting sure. little tidbit. And one other thing I read was some non-original non-theatrical prints of the movie for like television and just crap like that there was like a 10 minute reel of the film that was in reverse like flipped so the whole movie all the movement in the movie goes from left to right to signify the journey but for that 10 minute sequence everything goes right to left somehow they <laughs> messed that up now it's like in the 80s for like a year but nobody noticed it so it was on television for like a couple of years with that sequence playing in the wrong way and then david lean eventually pointed out it was like yo uh, what the hell? You know, <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah, for sure. This one's interesting in terms of relationships on set. Alec Guinness originally admired Peter O'Toole's talent and charm, but as he watched him drink to excess, 
His appreciation cooled. One day, the two of them were invited to dinner at a local dignitary's house. O'Toole got so drunk, quarreled with his with the host, and threw a glass of champagne in his face. Guinness wrote to a friend, O'Toole could have been killed, shot or strangled. And I'm beginning to think it, it, it was a pity he wasn't. I, I've heard all the stories that Pio O'Toole is quite the drunk. So, yeah. And yeah. and then the last uh, the last couple here, Peter O'Toole... Uh, his performance is listed as the number one performance of all time in Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Performance of All Time. Mm-hmm. You know, can't be all, you know, can't always be right. And that is not correct because Al Pacino <laughs> and The Godfather Part Two. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could, it could have picked probably about a few thousand worse performances. So true. I, I'll also say this this on the sight and sound poll, the 2012 one, is no, this movie's number 81. And the new poll comes out in a month. So. Do we think this movie goes up, down, or you know, what are they? Because what, what it's a top one hundred, right? Top one hundred movies all time. It's number eighty one so far. So I think it's it, a lot lower than I thought it was going to be. I think it's going down. I, th- I think it might retain its position. I hope to God it doesn't get kicked off. That would I I would not think that movie get kicked off. I would really hope not. That would be that would yeah. disappoint me. Because like AFI is number what? What did you say? Eight was it? Like Seven. all time. Seven all time. Do you yeah. think that stays the- in the top ten if they ever drop it again? No, I don't think so. I think it I, it stays top half. I think it definitely I, stays top half. I'd say if anything, it'd say top twenty five. I would say that sounds. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds right. But that's, so that's the, the problem now. First branch will go crazy over it. Yeah. That's the problem though. We're all talk. We're we're talking these new lists. It'll definitely go down. We all think so. That's kind of a bummer. Uh, and then this would have been interesting. Anthony Perkins was considered for the lead role. But Maybe a, a weirder version of him. David Lean dropped the idea for the fear that it would be labeled Cycle of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense, you know. He, it, he's it, got the he's got like the timid personality that he has. So like I could see it in some regards, but in terms of like later on in the movie, I'm not entirely sure I could buy it. Plus, I'm not sure if I'd want to see him with blonde hair. So yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> He probably it wouldn't. It wouldn't have shocked me if he would have done it though. Like you, you screwed me on an Oscar the year before. Let, let, yeah, let's get Let's go to. Yeah. Let's get this done. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Is there anything you guys want to add before we head out? Uh, well, here's a, one little funny fact. Peter O'Toole was nearly killed during the filming of one of the mm. scenes because he fell from his camel. <laughs> but fortunately. The camel stood over him, blocking the other horses and extras from trampling over him because it was during go. like the Aqaba invasion. So mm. again, peak camels right peak, there. Peak again, camels, camels again. The underrated peak hero. Uh, I mentioned how even scenes like them sitting in the tent were still just filmed in the desert. Uh, Anthony Quinn arrived on set for the first day, full in costume, uh, and Lean didn't know he was coming, and he actually mistook him for a native. And then he told his assistant to go call Quinn and tell him that they were replacing him with the person who had just walked on set who happened to be Quinn. So, And apparently people were saying that like the makeup job on Quinn, as well as uh, Peter O'Toole himself, that they just looked really close to them, which, again, goes back to the whole crazy thing about it only being like 40 years after. So they were able to get consultations and such from people who were alive then. Nice. Alrighty. Uh so yeah, that wraps everything up. Uh I knew we would go long and we did go long. So 
there's a lot of material to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, this is a fun one. I'm glad I was able to do this with you guys. Next week, if I rec- look at the calendar correctly, we're going to Minnesota. What? Uh, and and I'll, go- I'll get I'll get the beds ready. You can start staying in my house. <laughs> As we uh, celebrate a Disney classic, the 30th anniversary of the Minnesota Miracle and the Mighty Ducks. Uh, see the problem i'm like the one minnesotan who doesn't like hockey so i can't do that <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to continue the month with a little chop talk in two weeks and then we are going to do either two things we're going to either do noir november or the anniversary of this little other best picture winner from the 40s that i guess some of us like uh casablanca also starring Claude Rains. so yeah. And I have a I, I have a lot to say about certain individuals in that movie when we get to it. So <laughs> uh this should that should be a fun one. But yeah, guys, thanks again. Jack Hunter, Jack, plug your stuff. Uh you can find all of us at the League of Cinephiles on YouTube. And if you're interested in my opinion on other movies whatsoever, you can find me on Letterboxd at Jack Renault. And Mr. Hunter. Uh, you can find me on my website, www.cinemadispatch.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, wherever, The Cinema Dispatch on there. Got reviews, lists, articles, all the fun stuff. So gear up for Oscar season. It's Fall festivals are over, so now we're in the awards phase. Yes, the, fun, soon, the, soon. The, the, the happiest time of the year has arrived. Uh, it's fun. I love it. Same. And you can find me, as always, at realtalking.com. Uh, you can find my work also on my page on Ryan Tomatoes, my critics page there. And yeah, be on the lookout for reviews of Black Panther this week and also The Fablemans and Crossing Fingers Babylon. Soon. 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 I'm, I'm, it's on the calendar on, on the, the screening schedule. They don't have a date yet. It just, it's just sitting there. I'm like, I'm waiting. Yep. Same here. So, uh, All right, until next time, see you at the movies, kids.